This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. We live under a system called capitalism, but it hasn't always been around. Here's a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois about capitalism. Capitalism cannot reform itself. It is doomed to self-destruction. No universal selfishness can bring social good to all, end quote. Universal selfishness is the very heart of the idea of capitalism. It is that if everybody is very, very selfish, that the markets will tend to make prices come down and everything will just be great if everybody is sufficiently greedy. That's the idea of capitalism. And W.E.B. Du Bois says that it cannot bring social good. Capitalism, contrary to what they have been telling us over and over again since the moment we were born, has not ruled forever. We've only been a civilized people on this earth for 6,000 years or so, and it has been capitalist for no more than 7%. Capitalism has ruled the planet no more than half of that. Capitalism is only about 170 years, or it's about 170 years of being the number one. And out of that 170, it's been in crisis for about 110. So the capitalist class has not ruled for long, and it will not endure long either in the long arc of human history. How did it start? I'm quoting a guy named Emil Burns. He's British. He says, quote, The growth of the capitalist class also meant the growth of new forms of class struggle. The capitalists had to engage in a struggle against the monarchy and the feudal lords, a struggle which continued over several centuries. In some relatively backward countries, it is still going on. But in Britain and France, for example, it has been completed. He should have added the United States in there. He says, how did this become about? In Britain, where this stage was reached far earlier than in other countries, the struggle of the growing capitalist class against taxation and restrictions reached a high point in the middle of the 17th century. That would be around 1650, right? These restrictions were holding back the expansion of the capitalist form of production. The capitalists tried to get them removed by peaceful means, by petitions to the king, by refusing to pay taxes, and so on. But nothing far-reaching could be won against the machinery of the state. Therefore, the capitalists eventually had to meet force with force. They had to rouse the people against the king, against arbitrary taxation and trade restrictions, against the arrests and penalties imposed by the king's judges for all attempts to break through the feudal barriers. In other words, the capitalists had to organize an armed revolution to lead the people to rise in arms against the king and the old forms of oppression 
to defeat the former rulers by military means. Only after this had been done was it possible for the capitalist class to become the ruling class, to break down all barriers to the development of capitalism, and to make the laws needed for this. End quote. The armed uprising that Mr. Burns is referring to was the successful fight led by Oliver Cromwell against Charles I. Burns says that a second phase occurred in 1688 by which completed the capitalist revolution even though it remained imperfect because royalty and hereditary landowners were never completely removed from power. You just saw last week uh, that they just uh, inaugurated a new king in England. And he's rich as, he, he's rich as anything. He owns and controls 1% of all the land in England. And nobody knows how rich he and his family are. So they are still going on. Remember that capitalism is an economic system not a system of government. Consequently, the continued existence of a royal family does not mean that the capitalist class is not firmly in power. The capitalist class may thrive under any number of government systems, including fascism. They still had capitalism in Germany and in Italy all the way through World War II, even though they had fascist governments. The economic domination came from the capitalist class. The capitalist-led revolution in the American colonies did away with royalty a hundred years after the British capitalists came to power. But it is the French Revolution of 1789 that provides the clearest example of transfer of power from the feudal nobles and kings and queens to the capitalists. The French capitalists got all the say-so after that revolution and royalty got their heads chopped off. The world celebrates the great French Revolution every July on Bastille Day. Capitalism was not a bad thing. A lot of people nowadays say, oh yeah, it's a terrible thing, it's the worst system ever. It isn't it's much better than what it replaced. We've always struggled against the capitalist class, but we acknowledge that capitalism was a considerable advance over the feudalism it replaced. Capitalism freed the serfs. It raised production and trade to levels that would not have been possible under the personal rule of petty kings and nobles. It drove down prices. It allowed for and encouraged technical advances. And because the capitalists required good workers, they raised education levels in the general population. So capitalism was a very good thing when it was come up with. Because it could outproduce all the other economic systems, it spread rapidly and took over this place and then that, one way or another throughout the world. England was the first great capitalist power and it soon ruled much of the world. By the beginning of the 20th century, virtually every nation fell under the rule of the capitalist class, 
nations that were unlucky enough to lack their own strong capitalist class became colonies for the nations that did have a strong capitalist class. Having expanded throughout the planet and having no other planets to conquer, the capitalist class then fell into a long-term general crisis. This was around the beginning of the 20th century. The only way that one group of capitalists could expand was at the expense of the others. The age of imperialism, drastic economic crises, environmental disasters, and world wars that killed millions of young people would characterize the rest of their rule. The Americans came along and became the dominating figure in the world clearly after World War II. Whichever capitalist class dominated tried to find ways to make their situation permanent. At the end of the Second World War, the United States dictated a number of financial agreements to maintain their supremacy. Institutions included the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. The U.S. quickly accumulated most of the gold in the world. Their military power was unchallengeable and they had virtually the only standing factories in the world at the end of World War II because all the rest of them had been bombed flat. Around 1972, after the other industrialized nations began to recover enough to challenge the United States domination, it became apparent that adjustments had to be made. The United States gave up the provisions that had given them control over gold markets and the U.S. dollar was left to float against other currencies. However, the U.S. dollar remained the main currency in the world and the one that everybody else had to have if they wanted to buy commodities, particularly if they wanted to buy oil. <clears throat> you can have all the euros in the world, but you can't buy oil with it. You can have all the yen in the world, but you can't buy oil with it. You have to have dollars to buy oil. As we speak, this may be changing. The BRIC countries, B-R-I-C, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and a whole bunch of smaller countries are talking about establishing their own currency. And when is this going to happen? Possibly August of this year. I just saw this today on the Telesur news account that the countries that are not part of the United States and not part of NATO are thinking about coming up with their own currency. If they did, it would be a gigantic change from the way things are now. Because, for one thing, the United States can borrow all the money it wants to and just print money to pay it back because they all have to have dollars and they all want dollars. In 1980, with the election of President Ronald Reagan, the bosses seemed to get a clear idea of what they were going to do. The United States would go all out to maintain its domination over other nations and particularly over its own workers. Union busting and military aggression became common 
but they provided only a temporary and localized relief to the general crisis that had begun at the beginning of the 20th century. Even the implosion of the Soviet Union gave the capitalists only a little bit of room to grow, and the much-promised peace that was supposed to come after the end of socialism never happened. The Reagan policies continued and continue to this day. They are still being very, very hard on working people, not just in America, but all over the world because the problems that the bosses were having have gone on and will continue to go on because they have already taken over the whole earth. They can't go to Mars or the moon yet to take over there. So they have to generally compete with each other. Right now, the main competition is between the United States and China, but all of the, all of the countries that practice this same form of economic rule are in competition with each other and it's a race to the bottom for all of them. All of them are trying to drive down the wages and living conditions of their workers so that they can outcompete the other countries. It's going on all over the world. It's called the race to the bottom and it can have no good ending. But when will it end? No idea. Long ago, the capitalist ruling bosses lost any aspect of progress in human history and became a drag on the societies where it is ruling. In other words, all over the world. How long and how through how many disasters these societies will put up with their rule is impossible to predict but it won't be forever. Capitalism did not start thousands of years ago, only a few hundred years ago, and it won't last forever either. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.